and welcome to the Saturday Out Talk Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Kyle Vera. Marler, week two in the SEC is here. By the time people will be listening to this, it'll be October. I ran in 65 degree weather this morning. 65 degrees. It's a blessed day. Blessed day. I think that that's the high in Atlanta today. It's been amazing. Oh, man. I, yeah. I am so jealous. Like, I walked outside today. And thought to myself, what is this? What is this chill that I that I speak of? Because for the last beautiful, oh, I don't know, seven and a half months or so, it's just been 92 and raining at four o'clock every single day. Welcome to Central Florida. Not not going to complain about that. We have a ton, a ton to get to today. We have not one but two interviews with a couple of SEC legends. Just got off the phone with Aaron Murray, recorded an interview with him. Definitely going to want to stick around for that. Have a brief interview with Emmett Smith as well later on, a certain former Florida running back. You might have heard of him. Um, but we will get to those later. We have all of our usual picks, over-unders. Oh, Uncle Chris going to provide some gambling advice. I don't know. Is I'm not feeling though? great. I, I'm not feeling great either about, about this week. I put in a lot of work spreads. this this week, but I, I don't. I'm, I'm zero confidence. So spreadsheets, spreadsheets going. So you just, there's so many papers around. So many good. papers around. That is good to know. Um, but before we get to all of those things, Marler, once again today, had to have my Texas Pete for lunch. You know, Cubs are in the playoffs. I'm trying to stay in routine. I don't want to deviate. I don't want to change my underwear. I'm not going to change what I'm eating for lunch either. So so much information. That is, it is. Oh man. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't. First off, I mean, we've been in quarantine for six months. So I don't even know why you're wearing underwear. We're not going to get into it. Good I'll tell point, you what is this. That's not a staple of my day-to-day life. But what is a staple, obviously, is Texas Pete. Uh, and we have week two in the SEC, which means it's week two of tailgating or home gating or whatever you want to call it. Um, whatever you call it, just make sure you are doing it with Texas Pete. Get the Texas Pete, the original sauce. Get the wing sauce. Get the Texas Pete dust. Whatever you want. And send us pictures of your grill, of your home gate, uh, under the hashtag sauce like you mean it. We are going to be doing different recipes all season long. You can go to TexasPete.com, check out the latest recipes, get it some videos. Uh, they even, even put Texas Pete in a drink, which is really good to know because I used to just drink it pretty much, which is mm. how I got through college. So anyway, go to texaspeet.com for more recipes like that. And again, sauce like you mean it and send us your favorite recipes as well. When I first had my curry chicken with Texas Pete, Lauren said to me, she's like, isn't that kind of a weird combo? I'm like, Texas Pete goes with everything. I don't know what everything. you're talking about. Everything. Come on. Yeah. I put some in have... my hair. What do you think keeps it up slick? Yeah, you put random food objects in your hair. I'm not I on board with I put honey in my hair one time in 2016, and it was still a good move. Uh, you said it was a go-to in a pinch. It was. I was a double at Houston's, mm. and I was sweating profusely. Regardless, let, I'm, just, I'm so nervous, but let's get into these picks. I don't know why you're nervous. I, I think after the week that was, the only way to go for us is up. So I think we're good. We got past the bad week, and now it's nothing but good vibes moving forward. I hope so. I hope you're right. Better be. First game, the Will Muschamp Bowl. The Spurrier Bowl as well. South Carolina and Florida. Florida is an 18-point favorite. The over-under that I set is references, of course, to the HBC. Steve Spurrier. I set the over-under at a very conservative 2.5. Oh, way over. You way think so? over. Yeah. What? Is he going to be there? Is he going to be there? I'm sure he will. If he wasn't, if he about that. isn't there, that'd be kind of weird. I know, but just with the reduced capacity, stuff like that, I'm not sure if he's... I'm sure like, they'll make room for him. 
They probably will. Yeah. They made. Um, I, I saw the Dan Mullen uh, getting that bottle of wine. That was a mini that was bottle of Sutter content. Home. My God, still got it. Alpha, just an alpha in the room. The last time that Florida beat South Carolina by at least fourteen points was when? Two thousand twelve. Two thousand twelve. Two thousand twelve. Forty-four to eleven, and go figure. It was Muschamp for Spurrier. People forget that. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's probably Muschamp's most impressive win at Florida. I, I guess. I mean, like it just—it's got to be a short list. So yeah, it's—it's it's not the longest list, and it's all from 2012. Colin Hill, I think, is very interesting in this game when we consider what this Florida defense looked like last week. I loved, by the way, I don't know if you saw some of these comments, Kair Elam seeing how upset he was, saying, yeah, Florida, we counted that defensively as a loss. That game was just, it was awful for us. He's right, and he wasn't particularly good in that game. I have to assume that he will be on Shai Smith. Brad Stewart, who did not play last week, and then Sean Davis, who was ejected in the first quarter of that game for that targeting penalty and then was tweeting the first quarter about it. I, I think they're going to be back. Um, don't know that for sure, but that feels like a very key matchup in this game. My question to you, J.C. Horn has to be shadowing Kyle Pitts. As atypical as that would be for a corner to shadow a tight end, as I put that in air quotes, yeah. that has to happen, right? I mean, yeah, like I, I would I would think so. I mean, I remember like at the 2012 national title game with uh, – what was who was the tight end for Notre Dame? Was it Kyle? It wasn't Kyle Rudolph, was it? I thought Rudolph was there, or was it Tyler Eifert? It was Tyler Eifert, and yeah. and and I think the whole game plan from a defensive standpoint was to put D Milner on him because that was when D Milner was actually good at football, mm. and so they they I've seen it in that instance, but I I don't know if you do that here. I don't know if it's gonna matter either way. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and I hate to say that, but this is a South Carolina. I mean, South Carolina week one looked like South Carolina like you know it, like they they are the A&M of the east i feel like they they have we have expectations for them that are, are different at the start of every year and we are let down i think at the start of every year it, that's what it seems to seems to be under Will Muschamp um i know you have to pronounce his name for me Israel Muakwamu close enough close enough I think that's you. Fine. I appreciate that that's a, that's very nice of you it was good um, vowel usage by you i think for the most part for the most see part. how like little confidence I have right now. You can tell how he trailed off throughout the entire uh, last name there. Regardless, like hopefully he'll be back. He was injured uh, in the second half of that game against Tennessee. Mm. I mean, I, they have two of the best corners in the country, not just the conference, but the country. I still don't think it's going to be enough to slow down Florida's offense after what we saw yeah. last week. I mean, Ole Miss's defense is really bad. I mean, really bad. And, you know, you see what Colin Hill is able to do from, like, like statistically last week against Tennessee. And I think Tennessee has an above-average defense in the SEC. So, like, you know, that's impressive to have over 60% completion percentage, almost 300 yards passing. But this offense is going to be one-dimensional because they, they are going to struggle to run the football. And, I, you know, maybe they have a little bit uh, more luck against Florida than last week against Tennessee. That Florida defense, man, I, one, Kair Alam or Al- – Elam, Elam, sorry. Elam. Yeah, I hear yeah. Elam. Him saying that was basically a loss. If you're going to have a, like, chalk it up as a loss, you should have just let him cover the, the spread. You know, that's a good point. That's a Would very, have appreciated very good that. point. Um, Lord didn't being, cover week one. People forget that. Right. That being said, going into this game, it's the first time in four years that, that either team has been favored by more than a touchdown. 18 points is a lot of points. 
Did I just say that Florida didn't cover and Florida definitely did cover, didn't they? Yeah, they did. It's fine. Yeah, we'll we'll let it slide. We'll um, I, I've mispronounced like seven names and we're five minutes in. So, um, you know, I, I'm not sure what kind of answer South Carolina will have for, for Florida on defense, but I think the bigger yeah. issue is Shai Smith is the only player on this offense that I think w- would worry any any defensive coordinator. Two receivers catch a pass. That's it. In, yeah, in that how? Not good. Not good. No. Uh, that's that's troublesome. I, I feel like Florida's secondary is is going to be very upset in this one. I still think, though, I still think South Carolina is able to have some sort of success because I actually thought Colin Hill played all right. And I found myself wondering what could have happened if he had gotten that final drive, if not for the muffed, the muffed punt, the inadvertent touch, the Peter, 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 whatever you want to call yeah. it, the very South Carolina play that happened to end that game. I find myself wondering, Colin Hill, was he about to go on a game-winning drive there? And we'll never know the answer to that question. I don't think but... so. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I, get, I get the intrigue there, and, and it's, a, it's a valid question. And you, you talk about, like, this Florida secondary and how disappointed they were. I mean, think about this. Florida's secondary, with how talented they are on the back end, they rank last in the SEC in opponent's completion percentage, 72.7% for Matt Corral and company. Mm. Uh, they rank last in yards per attempt, 13.4 yeah. yards per attempt and QB rating. I mean, they gave up 29 first downs last week. It's too many. It's too yeah. many. It's too many to beat a, a good team. Don't necessarily think South Carolina is on that level. I'm actually going to go, I didn't originally think I would do this, but I've kind of talked myself into it because I think Colin Hill is going to have some moments. And for whatever reason, I just think that Will Muschamp plays Florida a lot more competitively than people kind of realize, too. Uh, haven't haven't beat them by, by at least 14 points since 2012, like I said earlier. I think Florida wins 38-27. to 27. So I've got South Carolina covering an 18-point spread, but I do think that Florida is still able to keep its foot on the gas offensively. Yeah, so... Looking at this this series, like historically, South Carolina has lost ten of their last twelve in Gainesville. Ten of their last twelve. But they played them somewhat competitively, though. You know. Sure. Yeah. I just I feel like, especially with how last week ended, and you talk like, talk about the quote from from Kair Elam, and this defense coming out it. with something to prove. There. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so, so you know what? That's the show for today. Um, end on a end on a good one. So coming out with like a chip on their shoulder was like something to prove. And, and you know, that that wasn't a perfect win. You know, I've said that before in the podcast, like where like a perfect win is like where you still have stuff to work on, where you can still nitpick something. And like you, you won, the game was never in doubt, but there's still stuff to work on for next week. There's a lot to work on for this defense, I think, going into this week, which I don't think is going to bode well for this South Carolina team. And, and you look at these two programs, they could not be going in, in more polar opposite directions. South Carolina is... One five and one against the spread in their last seven games. That was my record last week. Yikes. So I don't like that. On the other, they've also lost four straight road games by an average of 17 points. The line is 18. They've lost four straight road games by an average of 17 points. Florida has, on the other hand, won its last seven home games by an average of 29 points. I, I just think that they're they're going to put the clamps down a lot better on defense than they did last week. I, I don't think this is this close at all. Maybe for a quarter, maybe we'll see. You know, I, I think honestly, this game ends up being like around like a thirty point, twenty to thirty points, possibly wow. at some point during the game. I, I don't think South Carolina's gonna have an answer for for Florida, um, even with you know, like like you said, they've played them close and all that good stuff. 
Kyle Trask, there's too many weapons on offense. They, they were able to run the ball for seven yards a carry last week against Ole Miss. I think they put up a lot of points early, and this becomes a Ryan Holinsky or, or Luke Doty situation at quarterback oh. before the, the game is over. Interesting. Very interesting. I like that bull prediction. I like that. Mizzou, Tennessee. Um, line is Tennessee uh, minus 11.5. By the way, I, I was a bit surprised that the line was this high. You, my friend, were not. You crushed these first two lines. Let me tell you. Did I get them right? You had South Carolina as a 17 and a half, or you had Florida as a 17 and a half point favorite. And then for Tennessee, you said it would be between 10 and a half and 12. And it's an 11 and a half. I said that? Yeah, you said that. Oh, we're that. back. back. Yeah. Just, you know oh, what? Just like that, the confidence is back. We we are back. Let's go. <laughs> you were you were lacking it. I could tell early yeah. on. I needed to kind of get you get your confidence. How do you say this four-letter last name? Elam. Unbelievable. <laughs> um this I set the, the over-under for Nick Bolton tackles at ten and a half, by the way. Your boy. Uh how many did he have last week? I think he had eight last week, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, I guess over. I'm, I'm just never going to doubt anything he does. So I'll say, like, It always sure. feels like more. It always yeah. feels like more. He's everywhere. Yeah. Um, I think Mizzou forces Tennessee to air it out in somewhat similar fashion to what we saw last year. But last year, if you recall, when that happened, um, JG, your boy, had 415 passing yards in that game last year. Yeah, but that's ridiculous. the difference being this year, of course, no Jawan Jennings, no Marcus Callaway. Tennessee does get Daryl Middleton back after missing the opener. Um, I wondered about edge rushers for this team for Tennessee, uh, what that was going to look like without Daryl Taylor. DeAndre Johnson looked the part. SEC defensive lineman of the week last week for his performance against South Carolina. Real quick, did you see that that Florida had the the defensive player of the week? Metro Miller. He, he was very good, but it's very weird to give someone the defensive player of the week on when you have that bad of a defensive performance overall. He, he was good. That Some of the hits that he was making in the game, oh my yeah. gosh. I mean, vicious, vicious types of hits. Um, I find myself saying, I can't, I can't picture Tennessee putting its foot on the gas against this defense yet. Mm-hmm. I can't see them quite getting there. I think Mizzou keeps it a little bit closer. I was I was a little surprised to see that the line was at 11 and a half after Mizzou did some good things in the second half of that game against Alabama. Now, that's not to say that they were on the same level as in Alabama, but I thought that they actually showed some promise and sort of confirmed their, hey, sneaky, they can play with a lot more yeah. teams than we think sort of thing. And I think this is the type of game that Mizzou just sort of hangs around. Tennessee might okay. lead the entire time, and this might actually play into Tennessee's hand of being able to actually have balance on offense. They're not trying to overcome a late deficit or something like that. I've got Tennessee winning this game 24-14, so technically Mizzou covers, but ultimately the Vols get to 2-0 and win a, another division game, which would be huge for Jeremy Pruitt to continue the nation's longest winning streak. Yeah, I, so I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. Oh. Um, you know, I, I was talking about this earlier in like our weekly picks article, and I, I was leaning more towards this game is going to be really close. I think in the first half, Mizzou will hang around. I think Tennessee mm-hmm. will pull away late. Um, and, and mainly because I'm just not going to pick against this Tennessee team and, and what Jeremy Pruitt's been doing over the past, you know, going back through the last seven games. They're on a seven-game win streak. They've won six in a row in the SEC. They've won four in a row away from home. Like they're doing, like in every possible fashion, they are succeeding. And, and I think that every week I kind of, you know, I picked, I picked them to lose last week in South Carolina. And 
And, you know, it wasn't the prettiest win, but it was a win. And they, they did – the defense is – I love where this defense is headed. I think that they still have a little bit ways to go before they're, like, a top-tier defense in the SEC. But, obviously, you know – god dang it, Henry to, – to, to O to O. Thank you. You know, you know what? From now on, you're just going to – I'm going to – you're going to give me the assist and just and close it out for me. That's fine. Anyway, like I think outside of him, there's not a lot of star power necessarily on this defense, but they are unbelievably solid, and they're playing good football. You talk about the turnover margin being plus two. They had a pick six last week. Um, the defense, I'm not concerned about that at all. They did give up 295 yards passing to South Carolina, which the only reason that would be a concern for me is, is Sean Robinson was 19 of 25 last week against Alabama. A lot and, of short passes that he was that he was yeah. working, getting feel for the offense, yeah. Right. So the only the only thing that worries me for Tennessee in this game, because I, I think they are going to just keep this thing rolling, I think they're going to try to establish the run after not getting Eric Gray going last week as well. Yeah. That might be kind of difficult. And I'm not just saying this because of how Trey Sanders fared against that D-line. Mizzou had eight tackles for loss last week against Alabama. Was the third most good in the, the front seven. They're good they are, in and, front and they're seven. really good in the secondary as well. And so, you know, like a, a lot of those passes, it wasn't like Bama receivers were just, you know, running free the entire game. Like a, a lot of those passes were put in tight windows and, and they had pretty good coverage. The only area of concern I have for Tennessee on offense, they were one of 12 on third down last week. Mm. One of 12. Um, I, I, I'm going to pick them to, to win and cover. But oh. I think honestly, the real play here is the under. The under yeah. is is five. Or I'm sorry, six and one in Mizzou's last seven games, and it's five and one in uh, Tennessee's last last six games. So I think the under is the play. I'm gonna I'm gonna take Tennessee to cover. They're at home. It's a young Mizzou team, but I would not be surprised at all if it's somewhat close and, and within single digits. What is the over under for this game? Forty eight and a half. Forty eight and a half. There are a lot of very low over unders this week. I noticed. Yeah. Felt surprising to see some of the some of the over unders that, that that were out there already. Arkansas and Mississippi State. Mississippi State is a seventeen and a half point favorite. Um, by the way, I said nineteen. You said fourteen and a half. So I'm going to count that as a win for us. We were like kind of splitting like the difference that. there. That's good. Um, I set the over under for KJ Costello passing yards at four hundred. Over, I would assume. Arkansas so defense looked pretty good last weekend, but I mean, this is just the offense. Right. So my question about this and the great, the great unknown of, of what happened in week one and the significance of it happening week one is how much defensive coordinators are going to look at what Bo Pelini did. Yeah. and say, we are doing the exact opposite. Yeah, we're You're going to watch that tape for any, game. any kind yeah. of advice. Ex- well, you, you, on what not to do. The, the yeah, blueprint exactly. of what not to do is is right there. And I wonder about MSU following this up when things came a little bit easier for them than, than I think even they thought. I, I yeah. really do. And I think sometimes when you have a week like that where, you know, they had, they had adversity in that game. That's not to say that everything yeah. was just perfectly smooth the entire time. But I think after a week like this where it's still so new and everything still feels, you know, very much like, hey, this is, we're new. You're, we're t- you're going to take us seriously right now. They've been hearing about how great they are all week and deservedly right. so. Deservedly yeah. so, 100%. But, you know, I, I do kind of wonder about Barry Odom getting that, that, that vision out there of what exactly his defense needs to do. A, a Barry Odom defense that was 
good in the first half of that game against Georgia when they were not nearly as talented as Georgia. And they did not necessarily have the guys in the trenches that Georgia does. But still, they were able to hang around in that game because of how ready to go they were as and and from the jump, I mean, really, they, yeah. they got after it. They played at a different kind of speed than we saw under John the Don Chavis. And this was a this was an Arkansas defensive performance that you know talking to people around that that program, they were they were like, hey, this was there was a lot of good that came of this. Oh and the yeah, thirty-seven wouldn't wouldn't necessarily show that well, pick six, all that stuff, but. I mean, you're talking about holding a Georgia team to five points in the first half, and that's a defense that has for the last three years finished last in the SEC and, and given up an average of over 35 points a game. Think, I mean, think about that. It, you know, like I understand they gave up 37, you know, technically, even though there's a defensive touchdown in there. But, I mean, they looked – And a safety, too. Yeah. I mean, they, they looked a lot better. And, and, you know, I tell you what was most impressive, especially in the – gosh, the Braves are just lost. Um, mm. What was really impressive to me was – in the first half especially, when you just kept kind of waiting and waiting for Georgia to just turn it on and, and beat yep. Georgia, they had a couple fourth down stops. They, I mean, they, they did a lot of things throughout this game um, that I thought were really good and, and, and a lot of positives to build off of, especially on that defense. Now, this is an interesting line because if you think about it, like Chris Gordy brought this up earlier this week. I thought it was a great point. If this game is being played in week one, this line is nowhere near 17. Yeah, probably not. The over at 69, nice, is nice. it seems way too high, way too high. And, you know, you look at it like Mississippi State has scored 40 points or more against Arkansas in four of their last five games against them. That, I mean, so if they were able to do it with those offenses, I, I, it scares me to think how much they could possibly put up with, with a Mike Leach offense. I know these are different teams and different coordinators and all that kind of stuff. But still, like, I wonder what Mississippi State's going to look like coming out this week because it is difficult to sometimes get back up the, the week after a huge victory where everyone's congratulating you. Like you said, like reading your own like press clippings. I, I looked at the defensive stats from Arkansas, and there was a couple things that jumped out to me. Arkansas allowed only three plays of 20-plus yards last week against Georgia. George Pickens, George Pickens had 47 yards on four right. inches. Right, right. Um, that touchdown, I have no idea what that defen- like defensive back was doing. But it's a nice still. play by Pickens in the open field. Yeah. Nice play. So they had three plays where they allowed 20 or more yards. They only had, they had zero plays where they allowed 30 or more yards. One of only two teams in the SEC to do that in week one. On the other side of the ball, Mississippi State had 15 plays that went for 20 or more yards. They had seven plays that went for 30 or more yards. They had 11 total plays like that in 2019, Connor. They had seven in week one. So I, I, I think... Limiting the big play for Arkansas is going to be huge because this is an offense that, like we said last week, a lot like LSU last year, they are just going to come at you and come at you and come at you. And if you're playing on your heels and playing from behind early, it's going to be difficult to, to stop them. Um, that line, I mean, 18 is a lot of points. It is. It is. Um, you know, I'm selling myself a little bit on Arkansas's defense being improved enough to cover. Yeah. Now, I'll, I'll back off my original prediction of saying that Arkansas is going to pull off the upset. I'm backing off that. Don't get me wrong. I saw what happened week one. I'm not stupid yeah. enough to think that that's all of a sudden going to turn turn around and, and Mississippi State's going to fall apart. I do think that there are going to be moments where, yeah, like you run into a defensive coach who actually has a clue what to do against the yeah. air raid offense. I think Barry Odom is that coach. I ultimately don't think that Arkansas is going to win this game. But, 
Yes, I will take Arkansas to cover. I like the dogs early today. Apparently, the the underdogs. Yeah. It is not the bulldogs in this game. But uh, so I'll take. Yeah, I'll just I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait on a final score. I need to think about that a little bit more. So everything I just said, like 18 is a lot of points. I'm gonna take Mississippi State to cover just because after what I saw week one. Like you said, I, I don't know if I saw enough from Arkansas's offense that they're going to be able to keep pace with them in this game, and I don't know if their secondary is going to be able to like limit enough big plays. I mean, I think this is just going to be one of those things where this is the offense. Like They, they are going to put up 400 yards passing, and they're going to put up 30 to 40 points a game, and you have to figure out a way to either stop it or keep up with it. And, and I don't think Arkansas is there yet. There was a lot of positives from, like, from week one, and, and I love how they looked with a, you know Sam Pittman's debut. But I, I'm going to take Mississippi State to cover. I'm also taking the under in this one as well because I feel like mm. that's way too high like for, for Arkansas to – because, I mean, you're depending on Arkansas to put up at least, what, 20? What's the over-under for that? Uh, 69. Oh, 69. That's right. That's right. Yeah. My bad. My so bad. I, don't, I don't know if they're able to do that. I, I think that – I fully believe Mississippi State will put up 40. I, I don't think that they're, they're, they're going to give up that much. That defense looked pretty good last week. Yeah. Yeah, this is true. If there's ever a place that can be much louder with just 25% capacity, I think oh, it's God. Stark Vegas. I think it's Stark Vegas with the cowbells. Cowbells? Yeah. Did you see that giant that pirate sword cowbell uh, that the bellsmith made for, for Leech? Oh, I didn't see that yet, no. In like the, that video they had of like him showing up on a bandwagon in the oh, stadium. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that part I saw. I wasn't yeah. paying attention to the, to the cowbell so much as I was the, the actual like bandwagon that, yeah. that they made. That makes them. sense. Yeah. That's normal. So the yeah. Bellsmith is, a, is that company that reached out to us last year and made me a custom SES cowbell. Those are expensive. Really expensive. Are they? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Should I pawn yeah. it? Uh, I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Things you know, for you. If I keep losing money gambling, we might have to, might have to do that. We'll see. Anyway, it's a really nice gesture. Moving on. <laughs> LSU is a 20-point favorite on the road against Vandy. I, I'm an idiot. I, I, I said LSU minus 13. I got caught up in the moment. Yeah, I'm that sorry. Dumb. That was dumb. I regretted it instantly. I tried to move my lineup to like 17. That was dumb. You said minus 21. You were way more right. Dang, I'm on one. fire right now. Yeah, your, your spread guessing was really good. It, it really, really was. The over-under I set was close-ups on Bo Pelini after the week that was. I set the over-under at 7.5. I would say under. Nobody wants to see that face. Yeah, that was a big thing back when he was starting at Nebraska, and he would have these sideline moments where they would show him the entire game when they realized he was on one and was sort of blacked out due to anger. I don't think... He's at that level anymore. Like, you usually yeah. don't see a coordinator that much. But I thought maybe after the week that he, that was where he got so much criticism, you know, could potentially get a lot of airtime. Wouldn't yeah. be surprised to see that. Um, LSU is expected to get Derek Stingley back. That is the good news. I think in this game, besides that, which will help defensively, of course, you know that LSU secondary is embarrassed by, by the way that it played and some inexperienced cornerbacks who really – Got, got a lesson in what it means to, to, to try and play in this league. I, I think ultimately the defense looks better, but I also think Miles Brennan takes a deep breath, and it looks different when he doesn't have to keep up with that pace. If Vandy is scoring yeah. points at will against LSU, Bo Pelini's not going to have a ride home. They're going to leave him at the tarmac. It's going to be right. Lane Kiffin 2.0. But I think that when you look at this offense compared to something like what Vandy has – we're going to be able to also take a collective step back and say, all right, 
it's okay if he's not necessarily going through his progressions as quickly and it doesn't feel like he needs to score a touchdown every single possession in order for LSU to win a game comfortably. I don't think he's going to look like a finished product yet. I, I don't think that's realistic, but I do think that we see him sort of come into his own a little bit and, and take a step back. But yeah, it's Vandy. Yeah, I mean, besides the fact that it's Vandy, I think I think there are moments where you'll see him make throws that you're like, I don't think he would have made that throw last week, even in the same scenario. Yeah, I mean, I guess I think my my only response to that would be, and I hope so for his sake and LSU's sake and all that kind of stuff. And there, you know, there's a lot of hype going into this offense this season and how you know, like like that whole. I mean, LSU social media posting like the like the torch has been passed right before kickoff and all that kind of stuff, and you know. For their own sake and like to save face, I hope it happens. But my biggest thing is, we saw him last week in a game where they needed him to win that game, and he was incapable of doing it. You know, he didn't have a lot of help from the run game, and there was a lot of other issues like on that defense that that factored into it. But like Miles Brennan, Miles Brennan came into the season with the ninth best odds to win the Heisman, and I heard all offseason about how it was just it's his fourth year in the program. He's going to pick up, you know, like right where Joe left off. He didn't have the same, like, physical tools, but, like, he, he's got this offense down. And, you know, Mississippi State looked good on defense, but that is not going to be a, a defense that even finished, I would assume, in the top half of the SEC. So when you have a schedule full of legit teams and, and, and contenders and defenses and all that kind of stuff, and you, you now have the target on, on your back after last season, I, I think – Hopefully he goes out and has a good game against Vandy, but I don't know if we have any answers or if my mind is necessarily changed going into week three, even if he has a good day because of what I saw in week one. And I'm, I'm not trying to say that to be like, you know, negative or like a pessimistic or a hater or anything like that. It's just we expect, like, I mean, it's Vandy. It, it's just, I, I don't know. You, by the way, you know that Pro Football Focus ranked Vandy's D-line last week as the number one graded D-line all of college football? It's interesting. Yes, it was it's very interesting. interesting. Um, anyway, but like, so hopefully that won't play a factor into it. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm not sure we are going to have any more solid answers as to his capabilities after this game. Miles Brennan, Dewan Mathis, Kellen Mond. Those three guys really, really would have benefited from a favorable yeah. season opener to, against a cupcake. And I realize Kellen Mond at home against Vandy, that's as much of a cupcake as you're going to get in the SEC this year. But, I mean, I'm talking, like, group of five, get your receivers some confidence, get them some separation, let them just at least know what it's like to touch the football in a game. I think those three guys, perhaps as much as anyone else, could have benefited from that. And probably you could throw Terry Wilson into that group as well. I'd rather face a group of five defense than a Kevin Steele defense, probably just, you know, throwing that out there as well. LSU's longest run in that game last week was 12 yards. 12 yards. We talk about replacing Joe Burrow. We talk about replacing Joe Brady, Dave Aranda, all these guys. How about replacing Clyde Edwards-Alaire? Yeah. Because that guy, as we saw last year, when things were down, especially that Auburn game, I can't can't emphasize that enough. When things are down, to be able to have a guy that you can turn to and say, hey, they're defending our passing game really, really well, Mm -hmm. and we need someone who can just bust those big plays in the run game who can get us eight yards and give us a second and two to be able to just make things easier. LSU doesn't have that yet. With Chris Curry, John Emery, and... Tyrion Davis, Price, they don't have that guy solidified yet. And I don't know if one's going to emerge in a game like this, even though it is a somewhat favorable matchup. But then you talk about the defensive line, and it graded out really well last week against a But they A&M. got gashed by I mean, like, the, the numbers, I'm still so confused because they, I mean, 
A and M ran all over them. It was a big them. play. They didn't run all over them. I mean, Spiller had the big play. Spiller Spiller had Spiller had the big play, but their overall rushing numbers were not that lopsided. I don't know if that's true. I can look it up here in a second. But I mean, look it up. I mean, so we're, I think the the bigger question I have in this run game for LSU, and and this is something where two, you know, I think LSU fans might have been correct uh, this offseason saying. They were gonna run this. They're gonna run the same offense. Like just because Joe Brady's gone doesn't mean they're not gonna have the same offense. Sure, that's that's fine. But where I think they're having a lot of issues is they're still running these RPOs with Miles Brennan, and and, and they're not doing it with Clyde and all that kind of stuff. You still have a five star John Emery and, and talented backs, but there is not a single person watching those games or in that stadium or on that defense that actually thinks point. Miles Brennan is going to take that ball at the. You it's know, the at Jake Fromm thing. Yeah, exactly. Like no, yeah. nobody thinks. I don't know what kind of runner he is. Joe Burrow was was a exceptional athlete. I think like and, and like people did not think that he had that as a part of his game going into last season. He showed time and time again how good of a runner he was. I don't know if Miles Brennan is that athletic, but at some point you're gonna have to like sell it by by you know pulling that ball back and and running off like you know left end or right end whatever. And making making them respect, or making the defense respect that possibility of of the offense, um, you know. Otherwise, there's no point in running that style of offense. Line up with a fullback. You know what I mean? I'm gonna take LSU to cover a 20 point spread, mm-hmm. and assume that a bounce back week is in store. And even if it doesn't get off to the greatest start, I think that LSU ultimately is going to have enough of those weapons on the outside. Vandy didn't really get tested by those A&M receivers last week. I think that's the difference in this game. And you see guys like Terrace Marshall and Eric Gilbert get involved as well. And they're really able to take advantage of those matchups on the outside. What say you? First off, A&M averaged 6.8 yards per rush. It was the same exact... What was the final number? 27 carries for 183 yards. All right, that's good. That's good. That's better than I thought. They average the same amount of yards per rush. They did yards per pass. Spiller had that that one long run, though, correct? He had like a 57-yard touchdown. Right. So, like, I was still. Yeah, I mean, the the overall numbers look good. It just felt like outside of that play, it it actually seemed like they couldn't couldn't just impose their will in the second half. They forced a bunch of fumbles, too, and they they were in in the backfield and stuff like that. But so... What I'll say is this: of all the the skepticism I have with LSU, and and you know, and I'm not. I want everyone to know I'm not saying this to be a hater or be negative. It's just that we all have, we all had higher expectations, and like, you know, this is a program, especially under Coach O, that I I thought and was hoping that like had turned the corner and is going to be competing for championships every year. And so it's not off to a great start this season, but there's still a lot of time left in the year. I'm going to double down. Last week I said Steve Ensminger flex game. Coach O coming out, proving all the doubters wrong. I, I was way off. I'm going to double down this week, and I think LSU covers. I, my, one of my favorite picks is LSU in the first half. It's, the line's only 10. Mm. So I'm going to take that. I think they're going to cover the 20 as well. You saw what this offense did to, uh, to Vandy last year. Um, yeah, so I, I, think that, I don't think it'll be that bad, but I think they're going to get back and, and get right after, after week one. Next game is one that I have kind of tried to rack my brain around. And when it comes to a pick, I've gone oh, back God. and forth on this like six different times. Ole Miss is a six-and-a-half-point dog on the road in Lexington against Kentucky. The over-under I set was John Rice Plumley catches. I set that over-under at 1.5. I, I have no idea. 
I guess, over. I don't, he, he just needs more than five touches in the game. He does. That's that's the biggest thing. And I, I have to think, after the scripted stuff that we saw, I, I, I tend to think that the script was all there for him. I mean, it, it really was if you kind of just, you know, actually look at what they did on the first couple series of that game. And then realizing that Florida being down those two safeties, Kiffin says, we have to be able to attack deep. We have these mismatches. We have these guys on the outside who can exploit those matchups. And that's what they did. John Rice Plumlee's not going to catch an 80-yard bomb for you. He's not that guy just yet. Yeah. I think the overhits on something like that. I think we want to see more of him, and we want to see him involved in a, in a different sort of way. By the way, you crushed this line too. Um, you said UK four and a half, but it could easily be six or seven, and it ended up being six and a half. See, Connor, the key is you want to throw out at least three numbers in your yeah. in your one guess and, and do it in a subtle way that people don't pick up on it. That's what I did. Uh, you are you are very, very smart. Next level. I, I, I think that Kentucky should have a balanced back game offensively. If you don't, you are very concerned because you saw what this team looked like on the defensive yeah. standpoint last week, and it was ugly. That's not really my question about this game. I think points are going to be scored. I don't know how you contain Kiffin's offense for 60 minutes with all the different things that they can do now. Because I, I think that's going to be kind of lost in the shuffle about this team. And we saw it last week with the, the, the attacking that they did downfield. Like, that was something they couldn't have done last year. I, I yeah. really don't think that we, we, like, we kind of overlooked that and say, oh, you know, they were fun. They kind of had two quarterbacks who did different things, and Matt Crow was the passer. But they really did not do what they did last week in 2019 under Rich right. Rod. Mark Stoops just has to find ways to get pressure on Matt Corral. That was something that Florida struggled to do with Todd Grantham last week. And Kentucky and did not do against Auburn. Did not do well enough against Auburn at all. And, you know, I look at that over-under and 62, way which that, that seems, it seems high. But then I think to myself, right. gosh, I can't see Ole Miss stopping anyone. No. I, I just can't. I can't. So, you know what? I'm actually going to take the over. Okay. And I'm going to say that Kentucky wins a 42-34 to 34 shootout. Oh, if, if that happens, just thoughts and prayers to the, the blood pressure of all of our Kentucky friends. Um, listen, I, I said this last week, and I said it kind of in jest, but I, I, I really believe it. And I think <clears throat> this is just – Lane Kiffin is so dangerous as a coach because he's – I mean this in the most positive way possible – He's just too big of an asshole not to have success and not to have like a big day. And like, and especially in points where, where he can, he like he can, <clears throat> like, last week against Florida and a, a secondary that's missing a lot of experience in the back end. Like, Ole Miss only had two scoring drives that were over eight plays. Like everything was a quick strike. I mean, and they were, like, a lot of people said like they they got all these yards in garbage time. Not really. I mean, they no, got all the they, points. No, that's not true. That's not I mean, true. Yeah. No, they 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 did it all game. Like, I mean, from from the first drive when they, for whatever reason, didn't kick that field goal. But I mean, so they they worry me against this Kentucky team that really was very underwhelming for what we were expecting going into that that game against Auburn. For I sure. will say, going back and rewatching some of that that game and looking at some of the numbers, I think we might have overreacted to just how close that game was despite what the score said if i'm if i'm kentucky i'm worried about the, like doing the little things right like terry wilson is he going to be able to knock the rust off and and when players are jumping off sides you know like taking a shot deep like not throwing the ball away on a two-point conversion just things that are kind of inexcusable that I, I think go away with with 
the more reps that you, you get once he's coming back from injury. That defensive line, which I thought was going to be really good, in 30 dropbacks last week, like, Bo Nix was only pressured twice against an Auburn O-line that replaced yeah. four starters, and that, that's concerning to me. Now, on the positive side, they had three turnovers. They had that stupid fake punt. I mean, they had whatever happened at the goal line. I think I, this is just, we've had like so many Zapruder films that have been sent to me from Auburn fans explaining that he was down at the two. There's a, there's a lot that went wrong for them that I think if, if one or two of those things doesn't go against them, that game is a two or three point loss. I think they probably still lose to Auburn, but like they only gave up 324 yards to Auburn in that Chad Morris offense. And, and, and I think at home, where they're six and two against the spread, uh, trying to get back, and, and they're going up against a defense that I thought you just were, were dogging them because you hate DJ Durkin. This defense is bad. I mean, it's really just bad. Really bad. Uh, they gave up 23 plays of, of, of 10 or more yards last week to Florida. Um, obviously, Kentucky's offense is not Florida, but Florida was able to run the football at seven yards per carry last week against Ole Miss. I think Kentucky gets the running game going, which they weren't able to necessarily do last week. And I, I think they are able to win and cover against an Ole Miss team that they might put up some points, but I think Kentucky's defense is actually going to be able to put up a better fight for 60 minutes than Florida did. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with the second part. I'll definitely agree with the second part, even though that number 34 doesn't really suggest it. But I think we see a lot of points, and I think that Kentucky gets on the board in 2020. Real, real quick, when I talked about earlier in the week about like making those halftime adjustments, having the consistency throughout the game, Kentucky in the first half, they had four drives total in the half, right? The average amount of plays per drive was 10.2, like very long sustaining drives. In the second half, they had seven drives. They averaged five plays apiece. Mm. No score. I mean, so if they need to be consistent for 60 minutes, and I think they'll be able to against this defense. Good stats. Very good stats. Like those. Game that you are going to have a very watchful eye on, A&M against Alabama. I guess this one Get ready on the dot. for a deep dive, Connor. Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, I actually guessed this spread on the dot, surprisingly enough. I said I think Alabama needs to be a three-score favorite. I think they need to be favored by 17 points. Sure enough, that is the case. The over-under I set is minutes that A&M leads. And I set the over-under at four. Now, why did I set the over-under at four? Because that is, the exact, that is the exact amount of time that they have led against Alabama during the Jimbo Fisher era in 120 minutes of football. So, what do you take on that? So, I, I started to get into breaking down like all the reasons why I thought Bama was a mismatch and, and trying not to get too caught up in how A&M looked against Vandy because I admittedly didn't watch most of that game. And, and then going back and, and re-watching some of it, here's the bottom line. When I was like really looking at this and, and trying to figure out like what the angle is, I think this is pretty simple. And, and the, remember 2018 when I lost my mind about that backdoor cover that Jimbo had against Saban? Yeah, then he got a little he got a little bit of heat for that, and he's yeah. like, "Hey, I'm a year one coach. I'm still trying to put together my offense and do all those things." I remember. So Saban has faced Jimbo three straight years, and and he's beaten him by 17, by 22, and by 19. He's technically two and one against the spread, but again, it was a backdoor cover. The line here is 17. Bama's at home. I I, I think the only way A&M wins this game is if Kellen Mond plays out of his mind. And, and is able to lead them to a victory. And why is that going to be an issue? Because as much as I said all offseason, I think he has the like the 
the potential to, especially when that, like the, the first schedule they had where they didn't have to face Bama and LSU until late in the season, you know, year three of Jimbo, I, I thought he was going to turn the corner, and in game one, at least, he had the most typical Kellen Mond line ever. Kellen Mond, his numbers against ranked teams versus unranked teams, it, it's, it's night and day. It's night and day. Yep. So I, I pulled these from 2019. Against ranked teams, against unranked teams, 67% completion percentage, 14 touchdowns, five interceptions, 211 yards passing a game, averaging 7.9 yards per pass, also over five yards per carry rushing and seven rushing touchdowns, right? Against ranked teams, 55.6% completion percentage, only six touchdowns. I mean, he had five games against ranked teams last year, only six touchdowns, four interceptions, average only 5.9 yards per attempt, one rushing touchdown and under two yards of carry. Could not be more different. The other part that I thought was interesting, Kellen Mond is not only not great against ranked teams versus unranked teams, his numbers home and away are even The home and road numbers are stunning. Yes, it they is are. Stunning is the best way yes. to put it. And, and, and so in the last two seasons at A&M, he has 34 touchdowns and only, uh, I'm sorry, he has 32 touchdowns and four interceptions at home. I mean, and think about that. Averaging over 62% completion percentage on the road, his entire career, he has 14 touchdowns and 16 interceptions. More interceptions than touchdowns on the road. The, I mean, the numbers are, are staggering. And when you talk about combining those, because that's exactly where my brain went, because that's where he's going to face this weekend, is not only a team on the road and not only a ranked team, but both in Alabama. Four times in his career has he faced a team, a ranked team on the road. All four times against a top ten, top ten team. His numbers in those games: 51% completion percentage, under 200 yards passing, 5.4 yards per attempt, only three touchdowns, six interceptions, and A&M is 0-4, and has in, in all four of those games and lost by an average of 22 points per game. You're seeing the light now. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you brought up those things about Mon because I have some stuff that's going to piggyback on on the points that that you made that are very, very fair to make of someone who is the most experienced quarterback in this conference. He's two and six in true road games under Jimbo Fisher. Two and six. He is, he has two wins on the road that are against uh, what I would call less than stellar competition, of course, last year against an Ole Miss team that won four games, won that game 24 to 17. In 2018, he beat a South Carolina team that was, uh, ended up winning seven games, but won it 26 to 23. This is the thing that, that jumps out to me. Kellen Mond has yet to lead a 30-point effort on the road. Now, mean? if you think to yourself, huh, that's that's interesting. You know, 30 points on the road. Okay, that's like, eh, I guess that's not great. Here's the list of active SEC quarterbacks who have led a 30-point road effort in their career. And I'm accounting also for defensive yep. touchdowns. That's why, actually, Jared Garantano doesn't make this list. Okay. KJ, KJ Costello has done that. KJ Costello has played in one SEC game in his <laughs> life, and he's already done that. Kyle Trask has done that. Mac Jones, Felipe Franks, Bo Nix, Terry Wilson, John Rice Plumley, and Garrett Schrader have all Garrett done Schrader's done it? Garrett Schrader oh, has done it. And Kellen Mond has not done that yet sooner or later tough tough look there sooner or later it has to come together for him on the road i i i you know shameless plug here wrote a column that's really similar to two that i've written in the past about kelamon now is his chance on a big national stage to show us how good 
he he can possibly be mm-hmm. because we've seen the snippets, and that's what's so intriguing and frustrating about Kellen Mond is that he is he has made two plays against Bama that I'm not sure that there are more than five people in, in the country could have. You're fist pumping right now. What is Braves that? actually won. I overreacted earlier. Oh, okay. Yeah. Meanwhile, my Cubs allowed a five spot in the seventh inning, so Ooh. we're on very different levels right okay. now. I've been trying not to talk about it. Um, but Kellen Mond, how many times do we have to say this about him? And this is the exact type of game where, yeah, if you want to be, as you know, he calls himself, the best quarterback in the SEC, this is the type of game that you go shock the world. Yeah. Like, sooner or later, that moment has to come. And the problem for Kellen Mond is that his two biggest career accomplishments, I would argue... The Clemson game loss. at home yeah. <laughs> in 2018, which was a loss, by the way, but it yeah. was a loss in which AM got a standing ovation leaving the field. That tells you where things were at in 2018 at AM. But a good game nonetheless. And then, of mm-hmm. course, the seven overtime game against LSU that you could argue AM didn't deserve to win. That's the and problem. Think about how padded his stats are against a ranked team because of that game. Yeah, it's fair. Like, I just told you he, how he was good in that those... game. He was good yeah, in that he game. Had, he had but six fair, touchdowns. Yeah. And no interceptions, but, but like I just told you the numbers and, and how drastically different they are. I mean, think about how much added. Like, I mean, they're, they're almost even more inflated because of that one game. I, I just, I, I think that, you know, I, I hate to say it because I was one that was like, you know, believing in them. And again, it's still a long season. I just don't think that going into this season, I, I thought that this game was going to be, I, I thought these two teams would be one and two in the division. Yeah. And it's still a long season, like I said, but... There's just nothing that A&M did, especially in week one. And, and I didn't realize how, how big of a loss that Jamon Osmond was going to be. And, yes, and, he you know, is the go-to, yeah. Uh, the, the, one, the one thing I'll say that, that could be a positive for this weekend, um, A&M's defense, <laughs> they, they had the second most tackles for loss last week with, with 10. Bama gave up nine, which is the third most in the conference last week. So maybe they get in the backfield. Hopefully it's not just, just on Trey Sanders. Um, that could happen. But, you know, at the same time, they gave up – they allowed 69% completion percentage to a true freshman quarterback, and now you have nice. to go up against Mac Jones, who was the second highest-graded player in the SEC. Somehow was graded ahead of Kyle Trask. I don't know how that happened. But going up against them and all these receivers at, at Bama, I, I, I just I, – a lot of people are like – a lot of sharps are, are taking the under. The, I think the, the total is only 52.5 right now, hmm. and at some places have it at 51.5. Um, this, these, the past two seasons, they've scored 37 points combined in the first half alone and 44. I, I think they are going to, it's going to be the same type of thing. Bama's going to get a, a, a jump on them early, especially at home. Um, my favorite play maybe of the week is Bama minus eight and a half in the first half mm. and the over of 27, but I, I'm like taking, this will come as a shock to nobody, but I'm taking Bama. I'll probably buy it down to 16 and a half, but I'm taking Bama like first half and in full game. I, I, I'm i going to take Bama to cover as well based on the belief that I don't know how these Aggie receivers get open in time because yeah. I think Bama is too fast in the front seven. And this is the exact type of game where you want to have a Dylan Moses, mm-hmm. someone who can say, hey, Kellen I'm not going to allow you to have that 50-yard run. I'm, I'm not going to allow you to be able to break through when things when things break down and he can improvise and do that because Kellen has that ability, whether mm-hmm. he's got guys getting open or not. He's, he's I think averaged like 94 Dylan yards rushing against Bama uh, the last two seasons. He has. He had, he had like a 50-something yard run yeah. last year against mm-hmm. Bama. 
But I think having Dylan Moses back healthy, you will really see it in a game like this where he can get sideline to sideline and make that big-time play. I'll take Bam on a cover 17. So, yeah, I had it at 38-17 for, for the total. And, and i tell you one more thing about it that worries me for a and standpoint is you saw Bama really, really let off the gas in the second half of that game. I mean, mm. 20 to three at the half. They only had. They only ended up with 414 yards of offense. I, I don't know. If Saban's they had favorite yards. kind of win. You know exactly. It's Th- kind of that's win. what yeah. I say about like a, about a perfect win. And, and and he mentioned earlier this week about them not competing for 60 minutes. I think especially when you have like a, a nationally televised game against a, at least a bigger brand name. I, I think that they're gonna they're gonna be solid for 60 minutes. I, I don't think it's close. Marler's favorite game in America, Deep South's oldest rivalry. Auburn, Georgia. Georgia is a six and a half point favorite. I actually said UGA minus five and a half, and then you said what? Seven and a half to nine. That it opens at eight and a half, right? But it has since come down. It has since come down. Eh, All right. I I got you. I got a lot. I got a heat from you for saying for saying five and a half. What it opens at, right? It's at seven and a half to nine. It opens at eight and a half. So we're we're both right, but I just, I mean, fair enough. I set the over-under uh, for total combined passing yards in this game. Might have gone a little high on this one. See what I did there? 420. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, you're an idiot. First off, um, listen, this new segment we did on Sunday, which got a, a lot of good reviews about Sunday apologies, I, I'm going to issue one now. Oh, boy. Early. Thursday apology. I have been very, very critical of Bo Nix as a passer. Um I, I learned recently, you know that Bo Nix has, has thrown 210 passes without an interception? It's an Auburn record. I go, I can, I go a little bit back and forth on that. I think yeah. it's different if he's, if he's having 300 passing yard games and he's looking like Aaron Rodgers out there doing yeah. something like that. But sometimes I kind of wonder, like, all right, man, like you need to be able to take that chance. And he did take chances in that mm-hmm. game against Kentucky. There were interceptable balls that he threw to yes. Seth Williams that Seth Williams caught that maybe, you know, other receivers on that Auburn team would not have. But I do kind of wonder about something like that. Don't get me wrong, it's a good stat. Yeah. But if I'd be a little bit more high on it if we were seeing Bo Nix continuously, like, light teams up, at, you know, while well, doing that. I was just impressed because, I mean, like, of all time, and you think about some of the great quarterbacks Auburn's have with – Jeremy Johnson and, and Nick Marshall and that soft Cam thrown Newton. lefty from the, the mid-2000s. Okay, I was going to say Cam Newton. You missed the joke. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting about that is, and I totally agree with you, because his, his, his numbers are always, like it's, it just seems like he's always hovering around like 57% completion percentage, and he, he, he will make plays that, again, will, will make you gasp in, in astonishment and like in disbelief in a good way and a bad way, like multiple times in, in each game he plays. But what's interesting about this is, like, he's not a guy that I would ever look at and think, like, like yeah, he's, he's probably going to air it out more than, like, 30, 40 times a game. Like, that's just not what I, what I would think of in a Gus on offense. Last season against Georgia, he threw 50 pass attempts. He was 30 of 50. trailing, like, whole game. I know, but still, I mean, like, that, when, when's the last time you heard an Auburn offense throw the ball 50 times? I kept saying last year... Bo Nix was throwing way more than I expected him to. Mm-hmm. Way, way more. And I thought part of that was because Gus was early on saying, hey, I need to get this guy reps. I need to get yeah. him comfortable throwing the football. I don't want him to default to his legs because I know that's going to be there. But if he's really going to be something in the SEC, you need to be able to stretch teams out vertically as well. And Auburn has the weapons to be able to do that on the outside. But, yeah, I mean – 
I, I get it. Like there, there's. We're, I wonder if we're going to be talking about Bo Nix two years from now the same way that we're talking about Kellen Mond. I, I do. There's a part of me I'm that, not that jump wonders. That far ahead. I don't want to think that. I'm not going to. I won't necessarily say that that's definitely going to happen a couple years from now because it's still very early in his career. It's still very mm-hmm. early, which I need to remind myself of that. But on the other side of it, the JT Daniels thing, he has to start in this game, right? Right. I, I mean, I wouldn't say. I, I don't. I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm not just trying to say this to take a shot at Kirby, but it just I. I've given up on trying to predict most things, I think, this season already, after that week one, one and five start. But trying to guess what Kirby is going to do with a quarterback situation is, is not a, a road I want to go down. And, and maybe, sure, like, like he's medically cleared and ready to go for this game. Stetson Bennett, the fourth, played really well against Arkansas. And, and like, you know, we joke around a lot because he is our favorite DUI lawyer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, that offense was stagnant and not doing anything in, in, in the first half of that game. You look at, like, you look at their, their first half drives, only putting up five points against that defense and, and not being able to establish the run and all that kind of stuff. He really was able to get that offense to start clicking. It's a whole different animal when you're playing in this rivalry game and, and against Auburn and stuff like that. And, and there's, there's been a lot of people, I've been surprised at how, I don't want to say caught up in the moment, but, but how quickly this, this narrative has changed. Our, our buddy Barrett's Lee, he said flat out that Auburn is going to to destroy Georgia uh, if hmm. if they if they play this way the way they did like uh, if Jay, I think I forgot the exact quote but he has Auburn winning outright even though they're a six and a half point underdog he's always really good against the spread and, and with those picks I, I'm not quite there yet no matter who the quarterback is for reasons I'll get to in a second I, yeah I mean I guess you could you could start J T Daniels but I tell you what man. In a game like this, and especially like feeding off of what happened last week, unless he's looked really good in practice this entire time and just wasn't medically uh, medically cleared, I'm going with the guy that like gave us any sort of momentum and it has the most familiarity with the program, this rivalry, and 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 these players, and that would be Setson Ben at the fourth, and then I would pull him in the second quarter after he went like one of eight. Well, my counter would be then why wouldn't you want to have Stetson Bennett on the bench when he's been in that situation before and he's been able to come into a game? They always copy Bama. Yep. Bringing him back up quarterbacks to win a game. Yep. I think JT Daniels has to be the guy to start. I think if you're going to hitch your wagon to a quarterback to try and win you a national championship, which that's the goal for Georgia this year, I I don't think that wagon is being hitched to Stetson Bennett the fourth. I I don't, and I'm not trying to take away from anything he did in week one against Arkansas because he was more ready for that moment than Dewan Mathis. There's no doubt about it. But Kirby Smart went out and he got JT Daniels at a time when, to be frank, I I thought his his depth was all right. I thought it was all right, but then... You know, for, for him, it, it was justified maybe with this unpredictable year and with potential opt-outs and injuries, you know, contact tracing, all that stuff. But JT Daniels, he has faced two what I would consider really good defensive minds in the Pac-12. Those defensive minds, Justin like Wilcox, uh, 2018, 2018, his first and only season as a starter. This is what we have to, to base him on. Justin Wilcox, who's head coach of Cal, very good defensive mind. Kyle Whittingham, head coach at Utah. You're giving me that look. You rep Cal all the time. You have to know that Justin Wilcox is a good defensive mind in this. No, game. I don't. I don't at all. There's there's nothing that you are saying that's making me I, like. I, I, we are headed towards the same end result, I think, of what you're going to say. But there's nothing that I would. I'll use. get to. Yeah, let me go get to, ahead. Let me, all right. So even if you don't think that they're like a top ten defensive mind, which that's not what I'm saying. Those are the two best defensive minds that that JT Daniels faced in that season as a starter. 
Those games against those respective teams, Cal and, and Utah, 5.4 yards per attempt, 54% passing. Both were losses. One of them, he was chased in the fourth quarter. The other oh, one was okay. scoreless for the final 37 minutes. Kevin Steele is a different animal than yep. either of those guys. And after what we saw from Auburn in week one against a Kentucky offense that, quite frankly, I thought was going to be able to push him around a little bit, and I thought they were going to impose their will, Kevin Steele reminded us this is why he is the highest-paid defensive coordinator in America. And I would have serious concerns if I'm a Georgia fan, no matter who is starting in this game, knowing that Kevin Steele is just kind of licking his lips, looking at that Georgia offense, gross. searching for its identity. Yeah, a little gross image there, but... Still, I think that with Big Cat Bryant healthy, not necessarily going to be not not going to be held out of this game with Yankel. KJ Britt is going to be able to frustrate that ground game. Uh, Owen Popo, which by the way, I've been mispronouncing his last name for a long time, long time. They call him the Freak. I am buying this run defense more and more, and I think that that's going to keep Auburn close. I, I already said I was taking the under. I'll stick with that. Yeah. I think UGA wins 17-14. to 14. So I, that all makes sense. And, and I said last week after embarrassing myself with that double-digit Kentucky win um, that I was not going to pick against Mississippi State, Auburn, or I don't remember, the, in Tennessee, I think, the rest of the year. Um, so it took about like four days, and I'm already going to just boy. back off that. Um, you know, Looking at this Auburn win last week in 29-16 to 16 against a ranked team in, in, in game one, and they were able to really stifle a lot of stuff that Kentucky did, I think we got caught up in the moment a little bit. And, and when you really look at that game, Auburn was pretty fortunate in a lot of areas. And, and I'm not trying to take away from anything about the win because I, 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 I thought Bo Nix, especially in the second half, looked awesome, looked, looked great. Auburn had only 16 first downs in that game. That was the second fewest in the SEC in week one. They were outgained by 60 yards. The offense only gained 324 total yards. They were held to yeah. 91 yards rushing. They were held under 100 yards rushing in, in Gus Mazan's offense, and, and that was on 30 carries. They also were, were fortunate enough to have three turnovers, and on top of that got the, the what do you call it, the fake punt they, they stopped. When you add all that up, like Georgia's not going to make that many mistakes. There's just no way. And, and, and I think... Auburn looked really good in week one against a, a Kentucky team that we thought was, was going to be a lot better. When you look at what Georgia was able to do against Arkansas and, and that first drive of 91 yards, after that, the, these are the rest of Arkansas's drives in the first half. Punt, interception, punt, safety, punt, punt, punt. Only two of those drives went for more than six yards. Second half, Arkansas comes down and kicks a field goal to start the, the half. The rest of the drives, punt, interception for a touchdown, interception, punt, punt, Turnover on downs. Great defense. This defense is, yeah, and, and this defense is, I think, as advertised and is only going to get better. And, and, and at times they, you know, they looked, you know, out of sorts maybe, like especially on that first drive. I don't think that Georgia needs to worry at all. Unless they have a quarterback that comes mm -hmm. out and, and throws interception after interception and really puts in and, and, and lets Auburn play with a short field or is giving up defensive touchdowns or special teams miscues. I, I just think it's going to take a lot for any team to overcome this Georgia defense. And so I don't care who's starting. I, I, I just – Georgia has won 12 of the past 15 games against Auburn. They are 6-1 and one against the spread in their last seven games against Auburn. Kirby's played, played Gus five times now. He's beaten him four times. And in three of those games, he's held him under 10, 10 total points. I have Georgia winning by double digits. Ooh. 
against Auburn. I, I, I think it's going to be 24 to 13. I think it's going to be awesome. a really close game, especially in the first half, but I think Georgia pulls away with that defense. How about it? How about it? Good slate of SEC games in week two. I've got a lock of the week for you real quick. Okay. Our boy. Oh, I got Sean one Elliott. too. What's that? Go ahead. Go ahead. Sean Elliott, our guy, group of five coach of the SDS podcast. He is a pick at home against East Carolina. Now, why is this significant? They got their game canceled last week because they incorrectly read the COVID test. Come on. Can't have that. Can't have that 2020. It's not we even a real that. Carolina. Ugh, gosh. Since the start of 2019, Georgia State has two losses at home. That was two weeks ago against the unbeaten Raging Cajuns, the fighting Billy Napiers, and last year against Eli Drinkwitz's Appalachian State squad. ECU just got smoked by UCF. They haven't been to a bowl game since 2014. You're telling me all I need is just straight up Georgia State? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to bet on Sean Elliott. Lock of the week. Um, I'm going to do you one better. I've said this all last year. I said it earlier this year, and I know Oklahoma lost last week. Oklahoma in the first half is about as money as you can get. They were up, what, 35 to 14 in that game last week? And blew that lead, yeah. And blew that lead. But in the first half, they did what Oklahoma does in the first half. They're going on the road to Ames uh, against a Iowa State team that has looked pretty awful. I, I don't know if you Ugh. saw that highlight from Brock Purdy last week where he was falling and threw the ball behind him. Brock Purdy's weird, been bad. Very bad. bad. So I understand Oklahoma lost, but I don't know what Vegas is doing right now. And they're smarter than I am. But this first half line for OU is only three and a half points. Mm. I'm going to put all of my fiance's money on the money line. And, and I'll probably still take him to cover the, the three and a half. And it's only seven for the game. So wow. my lock of the week is Oklahoma money line in the first half. And I tell you what, I'm going to also do a little parlay with Oklahoma money line, Georgia money line, and Tennessee money line. Let's get to fourth and wrong. Actually, before we do that, oh, I appreciate you trying to transition to that. Oh. We're going to save those for after the interviews that we got coming up in a bit here. Oh, my bad. First, first, can you tell us about our friends at MyBookie? Guys, we gave you a lot of information today, and, and I don't Lots. know if our picks are going to be right, but at least we gave you a whole bunch of, of info that you can go off of and make, you know what, choose your own adventure. But make sure you're doing it at mybookie.ag. Sign up today. We've had a bunch of people reach out uh, and sign up with mybookie. I forgot, I'm, I'm like misremembering the guy's name, but somebody reached out and signed up, had no idea how to gamble at all, asked me for advice, and I didn't see the message in time. He went 9-2. and two. Ooh. Keep, keep doing, doing you, that. boo. Yep. But make, get on over to MyBookie, use the promo code SDS. They will double your initial deposit, and you know, hopefully your picks will be better than mine. Emery Picker also had a better week than us. So, Gosh, everybody. regardless, get on over to MyBookie. And, and my favorite thing about them is that you can put, you can parlay anything at MyBookie. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Promo code SDS. Let's get rich. Two interviews coming up. We talked to Aaron Murray, the former Georgia quarterback, the Georgia legend. Got to dig into a lot of Georgia-Auburn things, Georgia quarterback situation, all of that. Fun to go down memory lane with him as well. Little peel behind the onion for the Emmett Smith interview. So sometimes how these interviews work, we have, you know, like it's, you know, it's a sponsor deal or something like that where, you know, they've got somebody who's trying to promote some sort of product last year. We get these occasionally. It's not like we're just texting Emmett Smith like, hey, can you come on the podcast today? We're not that tight with Emmett Smith, not yet at least. 
But sometimes with some of these things, you know, you get a 15, you get a 15 minute time slot. And when they don't call you for, you know, six minutes, seven minutes into your time slot, you only end up getting like eight or nine minutes. So that is what happened with Emmett Smith because he was going over with, with other interviews and stuff like that. Still great to be able to get him on so gracious for his time, all time great Florida back. So we're gonna start with Aaron Murray and then our interview with Emmett Smith. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is former Georgia quarterback and current CBS Sports Network analyst, Aaron Murray. Aaron, I'm gonna ask you something that I'm sure you've gotten a lot of texts about this this past week. Are you sure that you don't have any eligibility left? I wish I did, and I guess maybe with the, the, the new rules, uh, technically I might have one year to go. Uh, but yeah, uh, it was it was a, a tough game to watch offensively, at least there in the first half. Um, you know, things got a little bit better there in the second half for my Bulldogs, and, and won the football game, covered the spread, so a lot of good uh, good <laughs> good stuff that happened there in the second half. But it's it's gonna be interesting, man. I, I just I really don't know what they're gonna do at the position right now. Uh, you have three guys. Uh, two of them have played very little. One played uh, at a different school across the country last year, and it's coming off an ACL and just got cleared this past Monday. So, and 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 still, he only had one year to play, uh, and then was out all of last season, besides a half of football. So, a lot of inexperience. Um, so, I just don't know. I, I think at the end of the day, I think that the key is for any of these guys is you just got to trust them. You know, that, that's that's the the big thing, and, and I think you have to show trust. Uh, in that quarterback room because you know if one guy gets benched after one quarter then the other guys are thinking the same thing like man you know i better go out there and, and ball out or you know my butt's going to be right in the pine and it's going to be the next guy up so i think you gotta you gotta stick with them a little bit longer that's something i wish they did with duan last week mm-hmm. i mean you named him the starter you felt like he was going to be a starter for the reason i give him a little bit more time i mean we're talking about a kid who didn't play hasn't played football in, in a few years uh, is coming back from, from a major surgery last year, has a new offensive coordinator, uh, no spring ball, wasn't the starter when fall camp started because you have Jamie Newman and JT Daniels. Uh, so really has had very limited reps in this offense, limited time to get his timing down with his receivers. Uh, so I just don't know what the expectations were. Uh, I know you're playing Arkansas and you, you think that you're supposed to just go out there and dominate from the first whistle, but it's still the first game of the season. Uh, and I also thought that, that he had no help around him, honestly. You know, there in the first quarter, the run game was non-existent. Uh, I thought the offensive line w- was subpar. And, and, and right now, I think Georgia needs to find a way to get explosive plays from their receivers and running backs. And besides George Pickens, I, I, like I said, I'm waiting to see who else is going to emerge for them. As of this recording, we're assuming that we're going to see JT Daniels on Saturday against Auburn in, in some way. Did you think that JT was going to be the guy before Jamie Newman opted out? And if so, what are your expectations of him? Um, I, I just want to see a healthy JT Daniels. That's you know someone who has confidence in that leg and, and, and goes out there and is not worried about guys rolling into him or hitting him. But yeah, listen, you want you want competition. You know, I thought when Jamie came in, Jamie was going to be the guy. I thought he was a perfect fit for Munkin's offense. Uh, just based on kind of what you saw last year, what he did at Wake Forest, you know, the offense was going to change. It was going to be a, a, a heavy run team, you know, which Georgia fans are used to, but just more of the, the, the spread formation, more RPOs, more zone read, um, and, and that type of offense, which I thought Jamie fit perfectly. And Jamie's not a, 
and then talking about Jamie Newman here, is not a prototypical quarterback. You know, when, when people are giving him first-round grades, you know, I was scratching my head. And I went back and watched all of his games from Wake Forest, and throwing the football, I mean, he, he threw the RPO game well, you know, the bubbles, the quick hitches, the, the quick outs. He threw a really nice deep ball and go routes, but everything else was was average or below. I mean, he couldn't throw the ball over the middle of the field. Uh, he had a uh, struggle you know, with consistency. Uh, ball ball security was an issue with him within the pocket and running. So I thought he needed this year to improve his draft stock. Um, so I thought this was a great situation for him. And then, you know, obviously he decides to opt out. And, you know, I'm still a little skeptical about that. I think, you know, in my belief, I think he was losing the job to one of those two guys and, and decided to save mm-hmm. face a little bit with the NFL and decided to move on. But, you know, they brought JT in here to, to compete you know, obviously, he's played some football uh, at a high level. Uh, very young kid, as we all know, when he was playing at USC. And, and, and it came out of the gates pretty hot last year there in the first half before his ACL was torn. So, you know, he's someone that can make the throws. Big kid, big arm. Um, he's not as mobile, obviously, as DeWan is. Uh, so that, that's another issue, too, is you need to decide your quarterback just for the sake of your offensive coordinator, Munkin, you know, and, 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 and the guys around them. You know, the receivers, the offensive line, the running backs, they need to know, okay, are we going to be running this type of offense because JT Daniels is our quarterback, or is this going to be our, our offense because Dewan Mathis is our quarterback? I mean, two very different offenses. You run with those guys, and there's just not enough hours in the week to practice both of them to be able to go out there and, and execute like a team against like Auburn this weekend. So um, long answer, but I, I do expect I'm with you. I think JT will make an appearance at some point this weekend. Um, and I'm interested to see just how healthy he looks out there on that knee. Aaron, I don't, I don't mean to one up you here or just, you know, kind of, kind of big league you, but I finished uh, third in passing uh, my junior year of flag football at Georgia College and State University. So I know the position obviously really well. I trust your opinion a, like a, a slight bit more than mine. Give me your top five quarterbacks in the SEC right now. Ooh, yeah, man. I tell you what, it is, it's fun to watch SEC ball with these offenses and, and, and the quarterbacks that are playing right now. But, you know, my top five, you want me to go from five to one or one to five? What do you, what do you want here? Up to you. All right, let's just, we'll, we'll start from the best. You know, we'll, we'll start with the big boys. Uh, I think as of right now, Kyle Trask is my guy, and, and he's someone too I watched a lot of film with of in the offseason. And, you know, listen, Kyle's not going to wow you with arm strength. He, he doesn't have a, a big rocket arm and going to be able to fit it between two defenders. And, you know, the, the thing that I respect about Kyle is the fact that I think he knows that. And, and you can tell the way he plays. He has great footwork. He has great anticipation, uh, phenomenal accuracy. Uh, he understands the game extremely well. He, and he, he runs the system the way Dan Mullen wants him to run the system. Uh, find the one-on-one matchups with either one of some of those guys in the slot. Find Kyle Pitts if he's matched up one-on-one and, and take advantage of it. So uh, as, as a quarterback, he is near complete. Like I said, the, the arm strength is um, average, maybe a little bit above average, but everything else is absolutely superb. I, I think he, like I said, runs the offense really well. they got some great talent around him. I love Pitts. Uh, that, that's a matchup nightmare, as, as we've seen these past couple of years. So to me, he's one. Um, you know, K.J. Costello, I would go two just because he has – he has everything you want. I mean, you look at the throws he made for LSU, a lot of man-to-man coverage, and he was just dropping dimes out there. And I think this offense is going to get better and better the more timing they get together and the, and the more this offense evolves. I want to see him take care of the ball better. Obviously, the interceptions were great, but you know his his mechanics within the pocket are are 
um, worrisome to me. I mean, the ball drops really low. You saw the fumble mm-hmm. late there in the fourth quarter. And that's something that, you, that I really liked about Joe Burrow last year. Joe Burrow, uh, for all of his great throws and, and throwing on the run, Joe never let his left hand off the ball. It was always two hands protecting the football. And that, that's, that's the number one job of, of any quarterback out there. I don't care how old you are, what league you're in, you've got to protect the football. So for, K, for KJ, uh, I think he just needs to do a better job in the pocket, protecting it two hands in the football, uh, and he'll be fine. Number three, I was going to say Kellen Mond, but he was a little, uh, little suspect and, and, and he doesn't have really the supporting cast around him. So that, that hurts. So, you know, I, I like Mac Jones out of Alabama. You know, he looks comfortable in the offense. You know, it helps when he has all those dudes around him that can make plays down the field and, and, and Najee back there at running back. Uh, but he's someone that he, he's, he's similar to, to Kyle Trask in my mind. Uh, not elite arm. But he just runs the offense really effectively. He understands that I got playmakers around me. I don't need to do be you know do anything special or be a hero. Let's just get those guys the ball in space and let them go out there and make me look good. So, you know, he he plays the role really well. Uh, so I put him there. Uh, four, I'm going to go with Bo Nix. Uh, really, really love what I saw week one uh, versus a, a, in my opinion a, a pretty good Kentucky team. Um, you know, he showed to me that he took some major strides when it comes to, to footwork. You know, last year watching him, you know, his, his feet were everywhere. And as a quarterback, it starts, you know, with your base. And if you don't have a good base, you can't throw as accurately um, and you're just going to be off rhythm. And that's something that you saw last year. And, and, and you kind of expect from a freshman quarterback to kind of be all over the place. So I think he worked really hard on his mechanics this offseason, like I said, starting from the ground up. And, and, and I, I saw a a lot more comfortable quarterback within the pocket. His throws were better down the field, a lot more accurate. Um, so really, 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 really loving what Chad Morris was doing, you know, in his first game as the OC. I think that's going to be a great match for those guys and excited to see what he can do this week versus a, a really good Georgia defense. Um, and then five, I'll go with Kellen. You know, Kellen has all the tools you want. And, and I think Kellen right now just, you know, he, he needs some help on the outside. He lost his best receiver in Osborne. Uh, a few weeks ago and you know right now just like georgia i think they're they're searching for some playmakers you know on the outside who can win some one-on-one battles who can take a quick slant make a guy miss and take it for 40 50 yards and i just think for georgia and a and A&M, they, they really don't have that and i, and I know you want to say georgia georgia has george pickens pickens is great in the red zone and, and pickens can run some great one-on-one balls you know go balls on the outside but pickens is not someone who's going to take a quick slant or a bubble uh, and take it the distance. You know, you see that with these receivers at Alabama and Mississippi State and LSU. They have those explosive guys that can make those type of plays. So uh, Kellen's hurting there uh, in that department. Um, but talent-wise, it's there. I just want to see him obviously play better in big games, and you know, he's going to have an opportunity this weekend versus Alabama. If you didn't have Bo Nix in that top five, I was going to say Auburn. There's your bulletin board material right there. Um, you know that that's all you that's all you would need for for Auburn fans I to like get riled kid, up. Man. They're very protective. I really do. I, I I you know last year he came up big in some big games. Um, he played well and he's a heck of an athlete. He he has good arm strength. Um, you know and they got some good receivers that surround him too with some speed and and I just think the the addition of Chad Morse as the OC is you know, going to really benefit him and, and, and him taking his game to the next level of not only being, you know, a runner, a, a, a run-pass option thrower within that scheme, but, you know, a true drop-pack passer as well 
uh, throw-in concepts that you see you know, on Sunday. So, Aaron, you recently became a dad. Uh, congrats uh, on that, by the way. Your, your son, your son Maddox, already has himself a, a little UGA onesie. Uh, how much did you have to censor yourself around your son watching that offensive performance in the first half in his yeah. first ever Georgia game? Yeah, so my goal is for, for Maddox not to play football and instead just play <laughs> golf and save the body. Yes. So I think maybe this was good for him to see, like, oh, whatever, maybe I don't want to play. Because uh, he took a nap in the second half was his nap time, so he didn't get to see the <laughs> offense really start rolling. So his only experience with Georgia at the moment is, is pretty bad football on the offensive side. <laughs> so uh, he was uh, a little upset. I actually had a great picture of him with a, with a big frown on there in the first <laughs> half. But, listen, he's, um, you know, most likely going to be a lot bigger than me. You know, I'm, I'm pushing six one on a good day, but uh, his mom's 5'9", and uh, her dad's 6'4", her brother's 6'4", so I'm just hoping – that uh, he, he's a little bit bigger than his daddy. We're hoping for like the 6'2", 6'3", range and you know can uh, see over those offensive linemen a little bit better if he does want to play football. <laughs> so I know you've talked about this play a lot over the years, but I, I've got to ask just one question about it. The prayer at Jordan-Hare. First of all, they did you dirty by showing you about a half dozen times on camera immediately after that play. Like, you weren't the one who tipped the pass or anything like that. We'll get to that. I mean, let's, Marla, it's a very sore subject for Marla, I know. Least favorite because, player of all time, Trey Matthews. Uh, just, golly. Oh, no idea. But, but your, your best story from that game for those of us that were watching from home and didn't necessarily get to see kind of all the behind the scenes things that happened. I mean, it's 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 a a true game of of just you know highs and lows. I mean, we were down what twenty points heading into the fourth quarter, and and I remember um, you know my my sister was driving back to Athens, so my parents were like, hey, you know, you should probably hit the road with your friends before this game's over with. It gets too crazy, and you know you get screamed out for being you know Aaron Murray's sister, blah blah blah. So she actually left, and you know she's getting the updates the entire car ride, like oh, why no. the hell did I yeah. Uh, but, you know, listen, going down 20 points there and and being able to come back and, and, you know, I was in, damn it, I was in, I know I was. And I was a little dinged and a little dizzy, but I'm pretty sure I was in the end zone. Uh, but to take the lead and, and, and you know, the, the largest deficit in Georgia history, come back and uh, to, to have a chance to win that game and, you know, third and long and third and Grantham, as we like to say, and you know, those idiots, you know, they, they wanted to be, uh, a hero and catch the football instead of just knocking it down. And I mean, an incredible play. Then obviously you fast forward to the Alabama with the, uh, uh, no, the, the it's not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just absolute craziness. And it was just a year for them, man. When, when you make those kind of plays and it's just, it's just meant to be. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, completely heartbroken, you know, to, 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 you know, I've been a part of some really good games in my career, uh, some exciting games against teams from the state of Alabama, obviously that one, uh, the SEC championship the year before, we were up by 11 points and, you know, and blow that lead and then still had an opportunity to win it there at, at the end in the fourth quarter uh, if it wasn't for a tip ball. So um, really, that, 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 like I said, those two teams in that state have probably taken 10 to 15 years off my life, just ups and downs <laughs> and, and just straight depression after losing those games. 
So I want to bring you back up a bit before we get you out of here on Two Minute Drill. Earlier that season, the LSU game, we actually did an It Just Meant More podcast devoted entirely to that game. And in my opinion, that, that's exactly what I want in a football game if I don't have a rooting interest. That day, you just looked like a guy who had the biggest weight lifted off of your shoulders. Is that the, the number one moment that kind of stands out in your career where you look back on it and you're just like everything kind of aligned well that day? Yeah, and and you know, huge weight off the I believe the week before or two weeks before that for South Carolina. You know, it's a hmm. South Carolina I was zero three again yeah. heading into that game. I was like, Man, I gotta at least beat South Carolina one time in my career. You know, I've been everyone in the in the SEC East pretty much uh every time we played. I mean South Carolina was the only team I had a losing record to or we did, um, you know, during my career there. So that was a huge weight to beat South Carolina at home, uh senior year. So you know, definitely went into the LSU game feeling a little bit better about life and, you know, our standings within the SEC. But, you know, it was a big game. I mean, just the star power on that field, game day was there uh, on campus, and, and there was a buzz that entire week. And like I said, you got Landry Jones and Jarvis Landry and um, uh, all the all the Menenberger and not – sorry, Odell Beckham and, and Jarvis Landry – um, I know what you meant. <laughs> it, it was just it was it was a lot of a lot of a lot of good football players and, and the back and forth and the excitement and you know that, the game wasn't even the best part. The game was awesome. It was after the game. You know we were in the locker room yes. celebrating and Bobo comes in and you know Bobo tells us the you know the fans are still there and and you know we went back on the field and kind of celebrated for another twenty thirty minutes and just a really special moment. You know I don't think anyone wanted to leave the field that day. No one wanted to leave Stanford and 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 that that. Like I said, that 20 or 30 minutes just, you know, with your buddies, with the fans, your coaches and family, you know, that's that's a moment that I'll never forget. All right, Aaron, we are going to get you out of here so you can go do your job as well. But we're going to get you out of here on a very special edition of Two Minute Drill. And, and it's special, and I don't know if you know this, but we do this with every guest. And it's, it's rapid-fire questions to close out. You were the first person we ever did this with at mm-hmm. Media Days in 2018. And, and I remember this because – you gave what is still probably the greatest answer we've ever received, um, referencing Tim Tebow's virginity. And it was legendary. It was awesome. If, if you don't remember it, I'll send you the clip because it's one of my favorite things ever. Um, so you got a lot to, I mean, well, you know, times have changed. That's, that's how, how long it's been because, you know, we know we're not going to get into it. He's married now. But are you ready to play your second round of two-minute drill? Let's do it. All right. First question. You got married in Athens. Uh, that's not what I want to want to talk about. What's the best bar in Athens that you went to afterwards? Best bar afterwards? Um, well, after the, after the wedding, the the hotel bedroom was the best, I would say. But then we went to <laughs> Paul, uh, Paulie's afterwards. I'm a, I'm a big Paulie's guy. Love it. Um, cringier move: adults dancing on TikTok or adults who drink milk like Jim Harbaugh? Oh, God, adults that drink milk like Jim Harbaugh. That guy's legendary. (laughs) That's one word for it. Uh, We have a mutual friend, Alexandra Yon, who used to be a regular mind at Houston's. Settle a debate for me. How old is too old to order chicken tenders at a restaurant? Oh, man. Uh, I would say 38. I think as you start getting to the 40s. I think to the 40s. Because then then you can just have your kid. You can just have your kid order the chicken tenders at that point, hopefully. Okay, I like that. That's a good answer. Um, if you could nominate one SEC coach for president, who would it be? 
Oh my goodness, I think that's a um, that's an easy one. I am going with Mike Leach. Mm. <laughs> that is all right, that plays. That plays. Uh, bigger Atlanta disaster: Dan Quinn or potholes? <laughs> or how about the Braves last year in the second inning when they gave up like eleven runs? Um, oh, they're about to lose all, right now as we speak. Yeah, so. Dan Quinn and the special teams for the Falcons are a uh, a. Um, a bust at the moment. It's been it's been tough to watch, but that's Atlanta sports for you. Um, so you you just got married. I am still in the process of planning a wedding for the fourth time because of COVID. Uh, what is a worst wedding uh, event? Whether it's cash bar or the chicken dance. Oh, a cash bar. Who is a cash bar? That thing better be fully loaded, ready to go for the guests. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm fine with chicken dance. Chicken dance is fun. Uh, bigger cheating scandal, the Astros World Series or Cole Kublik on Peloton? Oh, don't start with me. Cole is the biggest cheater there ever was when it comes to <laughs> I hate those big guys. No, it really does piss me off because you get on there and you're in the, like, the first 30 seconds of warming up and they're already like 30 points ahead. You're like, are you kidding me right now? Like that, You're not doing the class. Like, if you just want to just grind – and just get your own damn bike and just grind away. Like, stop trying to, like, win a competition where you're cheating. So it really ticks me off with those big guys. Sorry. You know what's even worse than that is we we made fun of him the other day when when I was on the show with you two, and after I made a tweet about it, he went and responded and then liked his own tweet from three or four separate accounts that he runs from radio, (laughs) which was even more offensive. But that's neither here nor there. We got got two. It's unbelievable. Uh, last two questions. Uh, what is it, your bucket list concert? Bucket list concert. Oh, man. Actually, we're, my wife and I are going to a fun one this Friday that I think might be considered bucket list type because it's going to be an outdoor in my truck at the Atlanta Motor Speedway, uh, a group called Mount Joy. So I think for me, just the uniqueness of the venue, uh, the fact that I can just drive my truck up to the first row, pop the back down we're gonna put some pillows in a blanket and just sit there and listen to good music is a uh is, is a hell of a friday night so i'm looking forward to that got a real country there and last but not least georgia wins the national title this year if what happens uh if alabama just completely falls apart um because right now <laughs> it's, it's you know i alabama there's three teams that are elite in the sec or not in the sec but in the country i mean clemson um, Alabama, and you know we expect Ohio State to be an elite football team, especially with Justin Fields. But you know they still got to play, and we'll see what they look like. But right now, those three teams are just on a different level. Um, and I, I just—it's hard for me to say. And Georgia fans are like, "Oh, you're such a hater of Georgia." And I, I like, "Do you did you watch the game? Like, I'm sorry, but their offense has a long way to go. You know, don't get mad at me because I'm—that's—that's I'm, I, I, that's my job. So." Um, but yes, Georgia needs to find a quarterback. They got to stick with them, but they got a great defense. Um, you know, they just got to get a bunch of turnovers, but we'll see what happens. Aaron, let me add this up. That's a, that last answer was phenomenal. Uh, we appreciate the time. Um, carry the one here. That is 69 points. And that is, that is a new high score for yourself. That is an incredible round. I love it. I appreciate it. I, I strive for, for greatness. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, last time you were on, we uh, I think we talked you into doing the Alliance of American Football. Um, so this time we're going to talk you into doing the XFL. And then next time we have you on, we'll talk to you about playing in the revamped XFL. Does that sound good? 
No, no it's just can we just like put good vibes out there for me to somehow you know join the PGA one day? I'm really into this. Stuff. There we, we go. Talk to you into letting me play play Ainsley with you. That's what we're going to talk you into. That's fine with me That's too. I, I just tear that place up. There we go. There we go. Aaron, uh, great stuff, man. Best of luck with everything you're going, and I'm sure we'll talk soon. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest. I cannot emphasize that enough. It is the NFL's all-time leading rusher, the three-time Super Bowl champ, and former Florida great Emmett Smith. Emmett is joining us on behalf of Johnsonville, which is the official sausage of the SEC. Homegating is the new tailgating in 2020, and Johnsonville wants to hook you up. Emmett, before we get started, why don't you tell us about the hashtag SEC Homegate Pro Contest? Well, hey, everyone has been home. Um, watching and starving for sports to be back in play. And it is officially about to happen this weekend with SEC football launching this weekend. My Gators and Ole Miss are going at it. And and, 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 and at the stadium, you won't have a chance to be around the stadium or in the stadium. So most of the time, people will be back at home quarantining. And so home gating is the subject of this weekend. What is home gating? Obviously, having the official sauces of the SEC by Johnsonville, home gating. <laughs> That's what we will be doing this weekend and enjoying SEC football, watching my Gators, hopefully beat Ole Miss down. Uh, and, you know, just having football back on television again will be is going to be awesome. Emmett, I, I got to let you know, we'll be airing this after this, so we'll just assume that Florida beat Ole Miss – so you're you're gonna look like Nostradamus there by making the making the prediction. I love it. <laughs> I, I wanna I wanna go back to your junior year at Florida. You you have exactly the year that you were hoping for. You're a unanimous All American, and then Florida hires this guy by the name of Steve Spurrier, and you're like, nah, I'm not sticking around this pass happy offense. Obviously, you had a ton of success early in your NFL career, but looking back, was there a part of you that wished you got to play in Spurrier's offense? Not really, because the decision came down to a couple things. Um, one, did I want to stick around for my senior year and learn a brand new offense and not know how I would adjust and whether or not my style of play would fit in it? Two, uh, and also take the risk of getting injured during my senior year. Um, and the third component was what was left for me to do? Mm-hmm. I mean, break, break more records, perhaps even. <laughs> I mean, what was left? What was left for me to do? I mean, I, I just about everything I could possibly do outside of winning an SEC championship, and that's the part that I do regret never happened while I was there. And I wanted. Obviously, I wanted to to do that with my senior, with my uh, freshman class, and so forth. But I had done just about everything I possibly could do, and uh, for the University of Florida at that time, it it was time for me to make a different type of decision. So last year, Florida opened the season with Miami. I have to imagine that you and Michael Irvin had some sort of wager on that game. Please tell us what that was. Well, if we if we have a standing wager, it's pretty much a hundred dollars, but we never collect on it. <laughs> That's fair. Um, Emmett, I, I got to say, one first off, 
what other records that I want to break. That what an all time line. That was that was <laughs> awesome. I, I can't say how much I appreciate that. So my I got I got two things for you. My first one here, best Deion Sanders story. My best Deion Sanders story. We were playing the New York Giants in New York in '95 on Monday Night Football, <clears throat> and we have beaten them pretty handily. And they take some of the starters out, and Dion is one of the starters. They put in another cornerback by the name of Kevin Mattis. And I think Graham is the quarterback at the time. And Graham was dropping back, doing his five-step drop back or his seven-step drop back and throwing this outright, out route towards Kevin Mathis. And, and they had did it probably three times or four times uh, doing two different series. series. And, and they were making that connection. And Dion's on the sideline without his helmet telling – and he called him little fella, little fella, little fella. They're coming right at you. They're coming right at you. Look at the splits of the wide receiver, et cetera. And they called another one. Dion snatches his helmet, runs on the field, says, get off the field, get off the field. And I'm not – and I don't think – I don't think Graham realized that field and got on the came off the sideline, got on the field, put his helmet on, helmet on, and Graham throws the same old out route and prime step right in front of it, took it back to the house, high stepped about fifty yards into the end zone with his hand on the back of his head doing his jump. <laughs> he comes to the sideline and says, "Now that's how you do it," and takes his helmet that's off. That's awesome. Gosh. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> so, Emmett, I feel like we always do this thing with Barry Sanders where we're like, Barry could still roll out of bed and get 100 yards in an NFL game. But even though you played much longer, you're still a year younger than Barry. So I've got a two-part question for you. One, how many rushing yards are you getting if Zeke lets you fill in for him on Sunday? And two, what's Emmett Smith's current 40 time? First and foremost, Zeke is going to have zero yards if Emmitt Smith have to do anything with it because I'm not running. <laughs> and, and, and 40 times, it's a slow walk. <laughs> oh, God. Same, not, same, isn't it? I'm, Honestly, not, I mean, I'm yeah. not running anywhere. I, don't, I ain't ran a 40. Man, please, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, we, uh, we'll get you out of here on this. You've been fantastic. Thank you so much for spending time with us. We have a game here. We like to play called Two Minute Drill, and it is it is the hard hitting, most journalistic questions you will ever hear. Uh, not really. It's all for fun and games. But we will keep a running tally of your points. Are you ready to play? I guess so. <laughs> okay. All right. First question. Remember, these are tough questions here. First question: Better hair, Aaron Andrews or Jimmy Johnson? Um, I'm gonna go with Jimmy Johnson. Um, yeah, that's the point. I would agree with that. Favorite show on TV? Oh, my favorite show on television right now? Yes. Oof, that's a good question. <laughs> I have a um. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I don't watch a whole lot of television. Okay, we can skip it. We can skip it. We got we got a, a better question to follow up here. Worst fans, Florida State or UGA? Oh, Florida State. That's a good answer there. Good answer. Now, this is this is you might be a little bit biased on this one. Better a Scambia High School running back, you or Trent Richardson? I say Trent Richardson. 
I'm surprising that one. Um, okay, I imagine the one downside of winning a Super Bowl, or four of them, uh, is missing the halftime show. January 31st, 1993, I'll never forget it, in the Rose Bowl, MJ halftime show, the greatest of all time. What is your dream halftime show artist? You know, that probably would have been my dream halftime show artist. Um, I didn't get a chance to see him, but I did get a chance to see Prince perform at halftime Ooh. in Miami. Okay, I like that. Um, okay, on an onside kick, what is the appropriate amount of people that should try to touch or catch the ball and is zero too high? By the way, I'm a Falcons fan. Wow. Um, I think everybody should try to touch the ball. I think that too. <laughs> I think at least two people should try to get to that ball. At least two people. Yeah. Okay. I like that. That's points. Um, you were on Dancing with the Stars. What is the best dance of all the dances? Uh, probably either the samba, <clears throat> the jive is fun, the rumba is sexy, uh, the yeah. walk okay. is beautiful. I like that. That's, Honestly, these are all good answers. The correct answer was anything but Cupid Shuffle, so that was good. That was good. Um, we got two more. We got two more for you. Um, what perennial runner-up wins the title first, the Buffalo Bills or the Georgia Bulldogs? Georgia Bulldogs. Okay. All right. Um, and last question, one of the most important ones here. Remember the Titans is celebrating its 20th anniversary today. However, you were in what I consider, and it's not a joke, the, you were in what I consider the greatest football movie of all time, Little Giants, for Little 22 Giants. bonus points. It's the best, Little man. Giants. The, what, was, what was the name of the trick play at the end of the movie, Little Giants? Ooh. Statue of Liberty? Oh, it's close. close. It's close. close. The annexation of Puerto Rico. I'm still going to give you 20 points because you've, you've been awesome. Yeah, well, thank you, guys. Awesome. Emmett, we appreciate you coming on on behalf of Johnsonville. Know that you've got a lot of stuff. We're going to hopefully have you on during the season to to talk a little bit more. We want to dig into more Gator stuff down the road. But uh, appreciate you spending some time with us, and uh, best of luck of, uh, to, to everything that you have going on. Thank you. Thank you very much. Excellent. Appreciate, appreciate it. it. All right, let's send everybody off to their weekend with a little bit of fourth and wrong. Got a lot of good questions, whole lot of good questions. If you are wondering how you can submit fourth and wrong questions, you can join our Facebook group, the Saturday Down South podcast, or you can send us a message on Twitter. You can tweet at us. You can email us at cogera at saturdaydownsouth.com. You are at cmarler at saturdaydownsouth.com. So send us a fourth and wrong question if you have one, if you want one, if you want to be able to hear your question on the podcast. So first, let us start off with Michael Spencer Bilby wants to know, which one of you would win in a thumb wrestling match? And then there's part two of that question from Ash Williams, who says, or a bikini jello wrestling match. Got to keep things interesting, she asks. So that's two different questions because... I think in the bikini jello wrestling match, you've got me. Yeah, I'm not just, I mean, I outweigh you by so much. I, I, I think that's fine. I, I would say that you would win the thumb wrestling 
Because I feel like I, uh, yes. you would take it too seriously. Agreed, I feel like you're 100%. a really good thumb wrestler, and you're probably really good at, at uh, like rock, paper, scissors. I'm double jointed in my thumb. Um, of course you are. Okay. So, yeah, that, I'm, I'm very well suited to win a thumb wrestling <laughs> contest. Not to brag, but. Um, that's pretty good. I like that. Um, okay. I, now, now I'm thrown off. So, wh- here, you do another one. Okay. Let's go to Ooh, um, Anthony Steven Vatis. Vatis? Vatis. Uh, wants to know, what is the best type of sandwich? In parentheses, hamburgers and hot dogs are not sandwiches. You are correct, sir. I love a Chicago-style Italian beef. That is my favorite sandwich in the world. It's a sandwich? Italian beef, yeah. Okay. Sounds like a hot dog. With peppers. It is not a hot dog, by any stretch of the imagination. Italian beef is one of those things that you can only find really in the Midwest. It's very similar to like a French dip sandwich. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean... They, they don't do it exactly like that in Italia, but, you know, it's a little bit different. But that's the one one of those things that I can find deep dish pizza down here. I can't find an Italian yeah. beef sandwich. Okay. Um, for me, I'm a big sandwich guy. Um, I Club sandwich is pretty good. I just feel like I always hurt myself, especially if it's like the, the bread's over toasted. Like, like, you got to like, ha. Yeah, it's way, and it's like there's a lot of crumbs and stuff like that. And I already, you know, like usually look like shit in, in public anyway because I have so much dog hair on me. Um <laughs> So I, my, I think my all-time favorite is Houston's French dip, and there were—I mean, there were okay, just we're, so we're many. Right on par. Yeah, so it's like it's it's like shaved prime rib, and the, like the only way to get it. Like I don't care about au jus, or, and I don't really even like prime rib, but you add melted jack cheese and grilled onions on mm. it, and I just can't tell you how many mornings I spent hungover at that place and hiding in the walk-in cooler eating a French dip that I pretended was an overring. And then just sat, I mean, I, I got I got written up twice in, in one setting because I got caught eating one in the walk-in. And then when I was told to apologize, I said, I'm not going to apologize because anyone would have done the same thing. It, it's just, it's too good of a sandwich. I wasn't mm. going to throw it away. There you go. All right. Um, okay. Uh, My question here, uh, who was your childhood crush, best childhood crush? Topanga, Kelly Kapowski, Sabrina the Teenage Witch? Why? It's a little before was, my time. 97? Was it really? Yeah, I mean, you know. I don't know young. why Sabrina the Teenage Witch made top three. Like that, that's not, she's nowhere near There's that. There's better. Yeah. There's better. So, mine, Topanga's an obvious one. Yeah. Obvious one. Kelly Kapowski's a little bit before, like, I watched, I, I've seen she every episode of Saved by the Bell. But for, for my age demographic, Kelly Kapowski wasn't necessarily like, oh, hey, like, I'm into, you know, I'm into girls. And this yeah. is, you know, my, my main, like my main childhood crush or anything like that. I more so was like once I hit like nine years old, Britney Spears was what made me realize, yeah, okay. There are uh, there are a whole lot of very beautiful like like girls who are like probably what, 10 years older than me at the time. So it didn't seem that crazy. Yeah. Like when Mandy Moore was coming up, I remember that was a really big Jessica deal. Simpson. Mandy Moore's Mandy Moore's like your age, I think too, I mean, which is like crazy. Three years younger than me, what does that mean? Like they're all I know, well that's what I'm saying. I know, but that's what I'm saying is that Britney, Britney Spears, I think, is like four or five years older. Like, J-Lo is much older. She's yeah. like 10 years older than them. But Mandy Moore was like 16 when she came up, and she's one of those people that's like always way younger than, than yeah. what people probably realize. But like, those, so those two, Jessica Simpson, before she Jessica went off Simpson the deep end. Jessica Simpson was really hot. Jessica Simpson was underrated. I'm going to throw a little one at you that this is going to be unpopular. Michelle Branch. I don't know what it was. I like, I just, I've said this over and over and over again. I am very white but i'm not like 
knows the difference between Michelle Branch and Vanessa Carlton White. Like, I, is that is that the making your way downtown song? No, no, no. That's that's the Vanessa Carlton. I think. Okay, uh-huh. same person. Um, so, I remember. I think I got in trouble one time because I said the Olsen twins were hot. It, like, oh, that's full no, house. There's something wrong with that. They were the same age as me. Yeah, so that's, that, fine. that's an okay statement to make. Um, some uh, Topanga, yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I was a big Topanga fan. Um, but my first crush, I think, was Chili from TLC mm-hmm. and um, Holly Robinson Pete from, what do you call it? Uh, Holly Robinson Pete from Hang with Mr. Cooper. She was my favorite. That's a good one. Yeah. Good. I didn't like Kelly Kowalski because she was like, you know, obviously dated Zach and they were like the perfect couple and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden she's like, oh, Jeff is like 30 and he's an assistant manager at our local burger joint. Like, how pathetic are you? What about Daphne from Scooby-Doo? Is that... No. I'm, I'm not a big cartoon guy, unless it's Disney. I'm not either, but, you know. All right. I mean, I guess. Yeah, sure. Okay. Eric Anderson wants to know, Connor, why do you hate Hook, and can you, can you tell us how Tinkerbell hurt you? As I said in the comments, she tried to wreck a home. And I don't think we make enough of this because Julia yeah. Roberts tries to wreck homes in every single movie that she's in. I don't That's my new that. take. No, that's my new take. Julia Step Roberts. On? Well, yeah, that's a good point. Try and find me a Julia Roberts movie in which she doesn't wreck a home. Uh, hold on, let's let's, my be- let's my dive best friend's into this wedding? right now. My best friend's wedding tries Runaway to wreck a home. Runaway bride tries to wreck a home. Uh, Pretty woman tries to make a man do you know pay for Aaron a, Aaron know, Brockovich. Night. Well, I think he, I don't think she was trying to make him. I think he was out looking for that, Connor. It takes uh, two. Still takes two to still? tango. Um, Fair enough. I I. I, man, I just can't imagine making that much money and then being like, you know what, I need to pay for that. Um, but also, Aaron Brockovich, she, she tried to wreck an entire damn corporation. Not just a home. Wow, yeah. you're, that's, that's really good. What about, what about, oh my God, even Ocean's Eleven. Am I right or am I right? Wow, she, wow, what a limited actress. Um, no range at all. Okay, let's see here. Um... But I'm having a hard time going through these. What tickles you the most about this season? What the fact that we the... have it? Yeah, pretty oh, much. That, that's, by the way, that. you know what that is? That's a, that's a callback to Jeremy Pruitt. Yeah, yeah thank you. Um, I, like, I like when people, people put in little lines like that. What tickles me the most? I'll tell you what, honestly, I hate that we had to start so late, but the weather in Atlanta, like, like the highs are in like the 60s this week and like the lows are in the 40s. If there's any consolation to losing my favorite rivalry in like, peak November, fall, when like the leaves are changing, at least the weather makes it feel like it's the right time of year. So, and also, um, you know, that orders are stored. LSU lost and Bama is 1-0. Michael Dark asked that question, by yes. the way. Oh, yeah, my bad. Uh, Emily Colvin wants to know, who can consume more Chick-fil-A sandwiches in one go, Marler or Leach? I haven't seen Leach consume Chick-fil-A sandwiches, and yeah, I'm going to assume... Yeah, I don't think he eats for volume. I have seen you eat for volume, and I'm taking you in that. I'm putting all everything in my wife's bank account. We share a bank account. I'm putting all of that on you to win that contest. So I mean, like, admittedly, I've I've been toning it down a notch at Chick Fil A. I ordered a grilled chicken club the other day. Yeah, but that ability is still there. Oh, yeah, the the ability. It's not like baseball or being an athlete. Like that, that ability doesn't go away. You should see the sushi. You want to talk about? Man, Um, okay, I got one for you. Randall Lockhart says, who would you rather co-call a game with, Gary Danielson or Greg McElroy, and which one would be a bigger shit show? Bonus round, 
Co-calling a game with an inebriated, senile Vern Lundquist. I don't know if that last part was a question. If that is an option, I, I would... Yeah, Vern. It's always Yeah, Vern. Like, I wouldn't want to call a game with Vern. I would just like to go drink with Vern. Um, like the Tom Hart story. Yeah. Oh, yes, that would be I mean, that, that's that's like a... That's bucket list. If, between no, Danielson Gary, and McElroy... Gary would be take... great because you could troll him the whole time. The whole time. How, and, I and he wouldn't dislike know. him that much, though. I don't dislike him that much either, but you can troll him with some of the stuff that he says. You could say you could say on balance line back to him, and if he oh, yeah. tries to correct you with it, or if he's like, oh, wait a minute, I guess I've been saying that wrong for the last 20 years. That would be fun. So McElroy, I feel like, would be fun because he's, like, maybe the least likable national championship winning quarterback at Bama, and also... He's like, I mean, he's really, really smart. Like, I mean, he's like, okay, he missed a game in college his senior year because he was going to take a test, like, to be a Rhodes Scholar. But, like, he, he also is that level of smart where he, he's also still petty and will, like, I, I think the banter back and forth and, and like, the, the shit talking would be way more fun with Greg McElroy. I would, say, I would take Vern over all of them. Gotta or Tom McElroy Hart. on this pod. Gotta have McElroy on. Well, not after what I just said. Eh, we'll, t- we'll, we'll tell him. That's fine. He'll be in on the joke. Thank you for everybody who gave us fourth and wrong questions. Hopefully everybody is able to enjoy week two of the action somewhere. Before we go, I have a quick, quick shameless plug. Um, so I've been working on something since about like early June, and it's, it's about black coaches in positions of power in the SEC. Talk to people like Sylvester Croom, uh, Kentucky Athletic Director Mitch Barnhart, Derek Mason, Gene Chizik, Gus Malzahn, and getting to like write about a subject that I know is, is very polarizing. Um, I, I promise I'm not trying to push any sort of agenda. Um, was you know did a lot of research and looked up a lot of different figures to be able to figure out some of this stuff. So please, if if you if you do read it, you do want to comment on it. Uh, just my only my only hope is that you go into it with an open mind. Yeah. I try to go into it with an open mind in this story. So not trying to. To, to solve anything or anything like that, but something that that I think is is become more prevalent and something that a lot of people are talking about. Hey, let me and let me say this real quick, and because like I'm I'm over at this point the politics and sports and and it's gonna be a miserable election season. But like, I think sometimes what people don't understand is like when I so when I I gave all that credit to Trump for his like help with the Big Ten and, and I I like on Twitter and I and we didn't really talk about it in the pod, but I, I fully believe that and all that kind of stuff and and was very positive reviews about about that. I got called out for how it was me pushing agenda and trying to pander to the audience and, and we've, I've been called out for the opposite as well and as, as of you. Sometimes guys, we're, we're just doing our jobs and like reporting on these things that we we are working on is is not trying to push an agenda. And, and like we, I want more than anything for the rest of this like season to just like all get along with I don't care who you vote for. I just, I would like to hate you for what team you pull for. And that's it. And that's it. But please understand that we are not doing anything like that. And we are just doing our jobs. Make sure that you are following us on all forms of social media at SDS, at SEC Football, at Vern Funquist, at the SDS Pod, oh, at CJ O'Gara. Real quick, we shout out to the, our entire audience because we got bumped up into the, the top 200 in Apple this week. So thanks. Ooh, to you. yes. Continue to bump us and uh, by giving us five star reviews, please. Yeah. That would be that would be very very nice of everyone. Uh, but yes, everybody enjoy college football weekend. Marler, what do we need to remember? I hear you loud. It might mean too much. There it is. Awesome.